The drums, you know, like that part of it really is the foundation of it. And you're the liaison to what's gonna come above that uh, in terms of the rest of the construction. Maybe it's true of drummers and bass players because what you, you mentioned that we're kind of alone on the floor. There can be more, key, you know, more than one keyboard player, there can be more than one guitar player, you know, it could be strings, whatever, but there's usually just one drummer and one bass player. We, there's a lot of responsibility on those chairs because you really can't stop, you know, unless you have a tacit. So, um, you know, if there's more than one guitar player, you can just roll your volume off and pretend like you played it, and no one's really going to be able to tell unless they look at the multi-tracks. Russ and, and Leland are two of the best in the world at that. But the responsibility is, is big, you know, of, of playing drums or playing bass. And that's one of the things that happens with Leland and I since we've played together for so long, is that, is that we, we really we take the pressure off of each other. Joining us today on Moving Radio is Denny Tedesco, the director of a documentary. I'm telling you, it is good. It's called Immediate Family. It is part of Northwest Fest, and you can see it on Friday, May 5th at 7 p.m. at the Metro Cinema. Uh, I implore you, it is worth your while. Denny, welcome to the program. Thank you. We are super excited to have you here. For anybody that doesn't know about this documentary already, Immediate Family is the true story of a group of close friends who became the studio band to the biggest stars of the 70s and beyond, uh, changing the course of musical history. So that's just the taste. And people are like, who are these people then? And trust me, some of the people that are uninitiated, they're not going to recognize those names that you say right away, but they are absolutely have every one of those grooves tattooed on their brains, that's for sure. Give the audience some real insight into the immediate family of Russell, Leland, Danny, Waddy, and Steve. That was my question. <laughs> Who are these guys? I already blew the first question. <laughs> I was a listener for a second. The older guys, I like to say, Steve's the kid in the group. So the guys that we're talking about are Russ Kunkel, Leland Scalar, uh, Wadi Wachtel and Danny Kochmar, who is also known as Cooch, if you look at the album covers in the 70s. These guys were the young guys, young Turks coming through rock and roll, like in the early 70s. And they start doing the recordings where, you know, they start with uh, James Taylor, Sweet Baby James, Carol King's Tapestry, then uh, Joni Mitchell's Blue. That's actually Russ Kunkel and all three of them. And they start chain, They start working with Jackson Brown. They're doing Linda Ronstead, and they keep going, and they don't stop, and they never did. And basically, these musicians, you know, were recording these albums like Tapestry and Sweet Baby James and uh, Running on Empty, and they would do these albums and go on the road with them. And instead of just being studio musicians hanging back, they actually played the stuff that they recorded. And that was a big change in the industry at that point. Uh, that was never that never happened in the 60s. You know, these guys were rock and rollers, real rock and rollers. And that's how that started. And, you know, and they carried on. I mean, Danny Kochmar, he, you know, went on to uh, produce Don Henley's first albums. He was the one that encouraged Don Henley to do a solo album. You know, and then in their 70s now, Waddy Wattel, I think he's 76. I don't want to age him, but he might be. Uh, Waddy's on the road currently with Stevie Nicks. He's the musical MD. Uh, Leland and Russ Kunkel, they're going on the road with uh, Lyle Lovett next month for a three-month three tour. 
I mean, it's brutal. But, man, they love what they do, and they keep on doing it. I think the incredible thing here is that anybody who's listening, they're like, they may start to have some context now of just what these people have created when it comes to uh, collaborating with different artists. But also, in a lot of ways, these artists in your film will say, you know, we're we're not who we are unless we have these people behind us playing because it wasn't so much they just take really good instructions, right? Oh, this oh, wasn't no. that kind of classic session stuff of like, you do your no. hour and a half in the studio and you never There's, see that artist again. They are and very that, much ingrained in it. Very much so. It's funny because, uh, so to give your audience a little background, I did the Wrecking Crew, the documentary on the Wrecking Crew. And that was a story about my father, Tommy Tedesco, and his group of friends that did all this stuff in L.A. during the 60s. And what you said was true. They only had three hours to do a session. They could do three or four songs in those three hours. That's what was allowed. And it was about economics in those days. You know, it's always about economics every day. But in those days, the rock and roll albums were done in one, two, three days. You know, they didn't spend much time on it. And the whole goal was to get in and get out, get in, get out. And that's why they use studio musicians. So my father never was hanging out with, you know, Brian Wilson or Frank Sinatra or Nancy Sinatra or, or any of the monkeys. Dad went to work three hours, three hours, three hours, and kept on going. These guys coming in, they're different. Not because, if, if for, first of all, they're different because they're at the beginning point of their careers when James is doing Sweet Baby James. When he starts doing that album, they're not so busy to turn down work. They're going to go on the road. They basically become friends, all of them. They're hanging months at a time, weeks at a time with the artists. They are friends. They are family. They're spending much more time with each other. Like I said, they're totally different than the 60s guys. If you're a road band, it's different. But if you're a studio band, you're not, you know, you have your good friends, but it's not the same thing as going, you know, being weeks on the road with each other. You know, so when I had the great example is when I asked these guys, when they said, yeah, we'd love to do this film, the next day, they called me and said, listen, Carol King can do it. She can do it in three weeks. And I went, oh, my God. You know, she said yes. But you get past the gatekeepers. There were no gatekeepers here. These guys just made the calls. Linda, yes. Jane, you know, James, yes. Jackson, yes. Phil Collins, yes. James Taylor, Keith Richards, uh, Neil Young, uh, Stevie Nicks. I mean, it just went on and on, and there were no gatekeepers. Everybody just said, absolutely, when and where. And that shows a lot about the love these these artists have for these, these musicians, because it's true. They're only as good as the musicians behind them or with them. You know what I mean? So that's what pumps each They pump each other. Uh, musicians, you know, in, any musician will understand this. They're in a language of their own. And they could, they could go to a foreign land and not understand English, Spanish, or whatever their language is. But if they pick up an instrument, they listen to each other. They can hear each other. And that goes with all the music they, they created. It's all about listening. The goal is to make that song as good as it is, not to make yourself stand out. Do your best you can to you know, support the song and the artist. We're speaking on Moving Radio today with Denny Tedesco, director of the documentary film Immediate Family. It screens as part of Northwest Fest on Friday, May 5th 
at 7 p.m. at the Metro Cinema. You can get tickets at the box office or you can get them ahead online at the Metro Cinema or at Northwest Fest uh, website as well. Now, we've been talking about all these players and they are not faceless. I think that when you when you watch the doc, you'd be like, oh, my God, that's who that person is for, yeah. for any of yeah. it's uninitiated. But for music fans, they're going to be identifying them right away. But they're. There's clearly that larger audience, obviously, and this is, I think, what makes the film work is that they won't know, and this illuminates them. But those minds must be blown basically after the opening credits because the tree is out of control. It is, yeah. uh, it's a lot of branches. So, talk to us how you balance between those two audiences, between maybe telling uh, the story for the uninitiated and then also trying to placate uh, the nerds like me. That's really that's a really interesting question. I never had that. Well, here's the thing: everybody assumes I know what the story was. I really did not know the story, even though I'm 62 and it's my era of music versus maybe the music my father did in the 60s, which was more my brother's, you know, era. There was a lot for me to learn as well. I because you know I know how the studio system worked. Do you know what I mean? And I know what. It was for me, I'm, I'm just like an audience as well. So I'm, you know, I'm asking Carol King these questions or asking Peter Asher these questions or James or Jackson. And I'm just like any of the people that don't know a lot of it. And then I start piecing it together. I obviously do my research and I, you know, know who the players are, you know, or know of them for many years. They're legends to me. And that was one of the great lines that I said to uh, Peter Asher. I said, mentioned to him i said about these legends he goes he looked at me he goes they weren't legends they were our friends he goes they didn't do it they hadn't done anything yet and he's right when peter ash is working with sweet baby james and and russ you know i mean with uh, james taylor he brings them in that's when it starts developing that's the beginning of the stages i always think of them as legends because they became legends all those album covers when i was reading those names you know russ kunkel seemed like a funny name sounded like a drummer you know what i mean leland scalar is a you know and then you see what leland looks like he is a legend he looks total rock and roll you know with the big long beard danny you know cooch cooch was another wild name and waddy waddy wachtel you know it's another just enough wacky name it wasn't bill smith you know what i mean there was only one of each of these guys i think you just fall into you don't get too deep into the the stuff that only one guy will understand, but you need to hit on something that we can all relate to. Sometimes it has nothing to do with music. And I think that's what makes good documentaries is if you understand what makes them tick, you know, and then the stories behind the songs. I'm not sure if I answered any of those questions for you. I think you answered everything beautifully, Danny. You're, you're doing just fine. <laughs> You know, you kind of referenced your connection with, obviously, the Wrecking Crew doc in 2008, which I told you before that I saw. I loved it. It's brilliant. Obviously, no, uh, your connection uh, is very personal to a project like that. Um, and, and this is, in some ways, maybe some sort of, like, adjacent film, right? And that it's about Absolutely. another... Yeah. Another group of, of people that come together who, you know, grew up in separate places, but somehow there's an incredible synergy between them, which is difficult to replicate with other people. And it just, why does it happen? Who knows why it happens, right? Yeah. What, what is it that appeals to you about shining this light on people who are kind of creatively prolific, but maybe aren't on the same level of recognition as the artists they're working with? I always loved the untold story. And I grew up in this business 
first of all, everybody should know I do not play an instrument. I, I have struggled with the third chord. I will get to it one day, but I cannot play. So I've been around some of the greatest musicians, seriously, greatest musicians in the world. You know, watching them come through my dad's house or, or hanging with them. And I go, I just admire them. And But the greatest thing is they're not so, everybody's blown away because they're real people. Do you know what I mean? I grew up with with these guys, but they're not like, oh my God, they're stars. They are stars to the other folks or whatever, but they're real people. They're fathers, they're, they're sisters, they're brothers, they're mothers. You know what I mean? I think that's the story of uh, that can be told. I think that's the best, you know, I think, and I tell people that I said, listen, you should be interviewing your parents or your grandparents because today's story is tomorrow's history and it's going to be gone if you don't ask it. And I think that's so important. And I really believe what we were fortunate enough to do with the wrecking crew. I was lucky, you know, I got lucky. Unfortunately I did it because my dad was passing away at 67 years old. But if I hadn't done it, there's a lot of history that we would never have known. You know, not just him, all the others that we kept going. And that film took 19 years to make from beginning to end. And we continue. We always kept interviewing people. I just love the stories. You know, it's funny because I was offered a, a job recently, you know, a band I did not know. You know, it wasn't my era. And I said, you know, guys, I'm not going to do a good job on that. I don't really know enough about it to feel passion about it. Do you know what I mean? And I think you need to feel passion about the story if you're going to jump into it. Well, I think the film that you've done, it will incite passion immediate family. And I think even if you're not familiar with all the music itself, the work that they've assembled with these artists is undeniable. And, and it's clear that, you know, they care about each other, that these artists care about, about all these, their bandmates. And that that kind of like, that's infectious as well, right? So even if a 12-year-old is listening to this and, you know, and watches that film, I think they'll be kind of like, oh, well, I don't know all this stuff, but at least I get what's going on here. Yeah, I think we all respond to friends laughing with each other. Linda Ronstadt's interview, you know, you know, poor Linda, you know, she's struggled with her illness. And we were fortunate enough to get her before COVID, obviously. But she makes me smile every time she comes on screen because she starts laughing about a story or something. And she's laughing at herself as well as her memory. And that makes it's infectious. And that's why if you like in my films, I'll always use a roundtable discussion. I like to put people in a roundtable as much as possible so that they can feed off each other. Memories will feed into something else and another story. I always look at musicians like, not comedians, well, they are comedians, most of them. <laughs> you know, they're very <laughs> funny people. But they love, when they're talking to each other, they love to banter. And it's almost like music. If you listen to it carefully, they'll go zing, 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 you know, they'll zing each other as well as teasing each other. You know what I mean? And that to me is music, because that's how I grew up. I didn't go to work with my father. I never saw him play an instrument at home until the 70s. And I'm born in 61. Because dad went to work, but I did see my dad play cards at home. I did see my father and have those, you know, those friends over and they have parties and stuff like that. And and that was the banter I saw and see music being played. So I, that's what I love the most about these guys is they love to lay it out, as they say, but with words. 
Our guest today on Moving Radio today is uh, Denny Tedesco, director of the documentary film Immediate Family. You can catch it as part of Northwest Fest, Friday, May 5th, 7 p.m. at the Metro Cinema. You kind of referred to those roundtable moments. Those those were the elements of the film that I loved as well. But on top of that, too, you get each one of these instruments kind of recreating their own musical highlights as well, which I really enjoyed instead of just like, oh, let's just see archival footage. Seeing them yeah. connect with those songs again was beautiful and, and seeing that interaction between them. Talk just a little bit about uh, maybe conversations that you would have with your DOP, Benjamin Ramirez, about how you would approach filming stuff like this to capture that kind of magic. Some of that stuff, let me go back to the first thing about the music being played. Mm-hmm. That came about from the first film, Wrecking Crew, when we were trying to cut something and one of the uh, we cut something that one of the DP, uh, directors slash editors said, you know what, you need more of that. You really do. You need more of the guys playing their instruments. And at that point, you know, the only one playing their instrument was Carol Kay. She was the only one that had an instrument in her hands. Uh, Dad was gone, you know, so he was already passed. And what are you going to do? Have Hal Blaine sit there with a, you know, a drum? So I thought about it and I said, well, let's do this. Let's just put Hal back into the studio just the way he would work. Put headphones on, give him the song, let him play, and then slowly mix it in. And that's revealing the songs. And that was my key thing for this film. Have each player do their key song that they're, you know, um, Rush playing Fire and Rain. You know, you don't know it's Fire and Rain, especially with drummers. You don't know the beats or whatever, and then you slowly bring it in, you hear it all. And same thing with Leland playing uh, the James Taylor song or Danny playing Carol King's Tapestry, uh, It's Too Late song. These are the key songs in their lives that made them. You know, it's funny because the last festival, people came up to me and asked me, that, you know, I brought that up. I said, did you know it? And they said, no. And that was the fun part about it, is them not knowing exactly what the song is until you start hearing the mix. So with the DPs, we just wanted a certain look, keep it separate from what we did in the interviews. My brother, Damon Tedesco, actually recorded those songs. He's a sound recordist and engineer. He does Family Guy and a lot of other shows. So I knew I was in good hands. So we just basically, then then the editor, one of the editors said, hey, we need more of that. But, oh, God, okay. And I go back in, and that was the day we did the roundtable. I said, okay, we got the roundtable. We got four or five, we had four cameras that day on a round table with a literally a 20 foot track circle track as we were setting up there i brought the guys into the other studio and i literally laid out 10 songs each of theirs and i put it all on a timeline i said okay we got 30 seconds of let's just say uh fire rain so we got fire rain fire rain fire rain i said okay i'm giving russ 90 seconds of you play fire rain just keep it going because I don't have time to stop and go, literally, because I'm going to use bits and pieces of this. And that's how we did it that day. So I had, you know, a good 40 songs worth of material at the end of the day to cut from. Um, I was very proud of that day, not because of what we did, but the organization. <laughs> it was really hard, but we all did it. Every They kicked, you know, and it's not easy for the musicians, by the way, to come up with the things that they you know, everybody assumes you remember what you did on these things. You can't always. I mean, you got to really, it's not that easy. But they, you know, they come through. Oh, yeah. None of that shows at all. They all come off like incredible pros. 
yeah. um, like they have been their entire careers. You know, uh, Danny Kochmer kind of talks about feeling almost like they were character actors when it came yeah. to being in the studio. And I, I feel like that kind of encapsulated the spirit of their careers and kind of the movie in some ways. So talk to us about why you think these individuals helped propel the decade of music since you've kind of gotten to know them and see them work together and hang out together and be together. And how challenging was that to articulate in under two hours? Because it seems like there's a lot of history there and this could yeah. be double, triple the amount of time and still yeah. give them the respect they deserve. It, it, two things. First of all, they're a different, again, comparing uh, a different era. Mm -hmm. The difference between their era and my father's era, these guys never stopped playing. You know, when my father's era ended, they ended. You either went on the road with a band or you start teaching or you did. My dad went into film and in and, and TV, you know, recordings. These guys never stopped. And when things changed, the sounds changed, they changed. You know, what I mean, that's the difference is like they decided, OK, we're going to go into this. You know, Danny Coachman was very excited about the 80s. He said when rock when he goes, when MTV came in, he goes, it brought excitement to the music. Which is really interesting because some people might think differently, but he loved it. He loved the changes. He loved, you know, keeping up with it. Um, and, you know, they, they continue to do that. You know, they, they can, like all great musicians, they get excited when they hear something new that's like, oh my God, let's, you know, it's like, I'll give you a great example. Um, Billie Eilish, right? Whether you like, like it or not, it doesn't matter. Danny, I said, Danny, what do you think? And Danny's written a lot of songs, you know, written a lot of huge, big hits. He goes, man, she's awesome. You know, well, that's a guy that's 76 saying that. You know what I mean? What I'm saying is it's really refreshing to know there is music out there that they like as new. Um, and they, they, they get blown away by it. So they're constantly growing. And that's what's great. And as the great line in... I think Wadi says, when we talk about, there's no such thing as retiring. He goes, I never met anybody that retired from the music business or, you know, from music and was happy. You know, you can't retire. And I remember my father saying that to the same, to students from all over the world. They go to MI or whatever. They, he goes, listen, you picked up your instrument because you wanted to play it. You loved it. Whether it was the Beatles that turned you on or whatever it was, you picked it up and did it. And then all of a sudden you got paid for it. And then all of a sudden you're making a career out of it. You don't stop playing it. That's not why you picked it up. You know, you can't give it up. And he, and he lived that to the to his, you know, passing. You know, it, the only thing that stopped his career was a stroke, you know, at that point. Um, but it, musicians are so, to me, I admire them so much, maybe because I can play. And I'm not just talking about professional musicians, amateur musicians, they have a skill and they love it, you know? Um, so I, what was the question? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry. You, you, you're giving me beautiful answers, Denny. That's <laughs> you. You've answered it fully. It's okay. Uh, you know, I, I love this film and I implore people to go check it out. If you don't catch it, then catch it some other time. But there's another project you're working on that we were kind of talking off, off the top. And when I looked it up, I was like, 
oh my god danny you're on this project i'm like i love this so much tell us about hang with dr z which i just discovered haphazardly on instagram and I fell completely in love with because I, I I don't know if anybody else knows it. I think it's hilarious. But hanging with Doctor Z was a premise that comedian Dana Gould, um, who's a, one of the nicest guys and one of the smartest people I know, he I produced him years ago. Became friends with him over twenty years ago, and during COVID, just before COVID, I saw him do Doctor Z is from Planet of the Apes. It was a symposium at at uh, USC where they were doing all these uh, Planet of the Apes films. And there was a moderator and he was interviewing some of the people that worked on the original Planet of the Apes. And as his moderator says, listen, we have one more guest we'd like to bring on. And he brings on Dana as Dr. Zayas. Well, these guys had no idea who the hell that was, let alone what was going on. And Dr. Dana as Dr. Zayas is basically, it's a mixture of Merv Griffin meets Fernwood Tonight, if anybody remembers Fernwood Tonight. And it's just a, a talk show where he plays, he's all in makeup as Dr. Zayas, and he interviews some of the great comedians. And the stories are just, it's all improv. Uh, we had Hank Azaria, we have uh, uh, Patton Oswalt, we have Bob Oldway, we had, it just goes on and on and on. Bill Shatner. Yeah. What's wrong with him? I, I, I know what I'm going to sound like. I'm going to sound like one of these big-time muckety-muck Hollywood guys no. who only has positive things you to say You sound about like a friend that's helping Bill, you're damaged. Gary's here to help. I'm just, I'm just directing traffic. Bill, Gary, go. I have never seen a negative, angry, off day out of Bill Shatner. I have only ever seen him be kind and loving to people. This is what... I love about Bill Shatner. Bill Shatner can take a man like Gary Anthony Williams and turn him into a filthy liar. Yeah. And we did this because of COVID. Dana said, we want to do this maybe safely. How can we do it? I said, we'll, we'll just do it. And we got a stage, did it against green screen at the time. It was just, again, Benjamin, my DP. And uh, we had... Katie, who's our uh, other camera woman, and a sound person, and that was it. And we would have the guest on the other side of the studio, literally in another room, safely quarantined, and Dana's on the other stage, safely quarantined, and we would start interviewing them from, you know, whatever. They would talk to each other, and that's how it started, and it was, oh, my, and I, that was like, oh, my God, this is hilarious, and they would just go. And as I said to you earlier, it's like watching Coltrane. If I ever got to see Coltrane, it would have been that. The banter, the, the, the improv, it's all improv. There's nothing written. Ideas might be written, but you don't know where it's going to go. And that's been the best job ever. No, we don't make any money. And Dana Gould is uh, the host. Uh, Rob Cohen, who's a Canadian, is uh, our director. Uh, Peter Arison is our executive producer. And then um, we have Paul, Paul um, Greenberg and Jackie Harris. They're Canadians from, um, I've known them for 24 years, and they're from Toronto. Um, it's been so much fun. And yeah, go to the sea, Hanging with Dr. Z. Uh, you know, you'll find it. We just did a live show of it, which was extraordinary because no one's been in the room together. 
but we literally did it live at a theater with Dave Foley. And that was just killer. Um, so that should be coming out soon. But uh, yeah, that's my, it's one of my favorite jobs right now. Next week. Lot, lots of Canadian connections too, right? I, I, it's all, yeah, not just Dave Foley, not just Dave Foley. No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> Paul, Paul is Paul Greenberg and Jackie Harris. Paul Greenberg plays, basically plays Rusty Steele, which is the band leader, which is, you know, hilarious. You know, Rusty Steele and the Steel Wheels, I think we have his band called, but there was no band. They've been on strike. So we, <laughs> so it's just Rusty. And man, Paul is the quickest. I mean, he's so quick when I work with him. And there's the best. And uh, he is basically, he's playing Doc Severson or, you know, from the Tonight Show. And then, um, yeah, we got Howie Mandel coming in uh, next week. So we're doing that. And then we have uh, John Hamm. And we have, who else? We got Ben Stiller. Uh, that's season three. And, and um, uh, uh, Bill Hader. So it's just getting bigger, bigger and better. So, but we do, uh, yes, I want to do a live show in Canada. That would be fun. All right. So, I mean, we'll get back to meeting family in a second here. So where can people find Hanging with Dr. Z? Is this just YouTube? Uh, I found it initially hey, on Instagram. YouTube. It's basically YouTube and Instagram. You know, it's funny because let me check something because I never know how we do on the the website. Hanging with Dr. Z. Yeah, it's hanging with Dr. That's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-Z.com. And that's on, uh, that's the website. And then it's the shows are on um, YouTube. Hate to say it, there's no money to be made on this one, but we're having the best time ever. Uh, well, Danny, you and Dan have given me great amounts of joy. It's very so, cool. Uh, I, I, I wish it paid more. I yeah, wish my joy. You know <laughs> I wish, I wish I my joy laugh. furnished your house. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> it's just a laugh. I mean, it's yeah. just, you know what it is? It's, it's funny because it's not about money when you're doing some work. My father taught me that. He said, you go, you do a job for four reasons. One, there's connections. Two, you're going to learn something. Three, there's money, or four, you're going to have a good time. And for sure, I'm having a great time. I can tell you that. It's art at its best for us, you know, watching these comedians. And my job as a producer is just to give them what they need. You know, when I sit back and like the, the car scenes we talked about, you know, we've basically did comedians in cars, but we called it uh, going for coffee. You know, the two, it was it the road to coffee. And we just put Paul and Dana in there. And let them riff. And you don't know until you get into the end because you can't hear what they're doing. I don't hear it. We're just assuming they're telling us something. And until you put it on into a timeline, you have no idea what they said for the last hour and a half in the car. <laughs> it's hilarious. And they don't remember. They don't remember. So. Well, I suggest you check that out. For immediate family, this is so early in kind of your road. Uh, with doing different festivals and stuff like that. So what's the best place that people can kind of check out or at least learn a little bit more about it? I would say it's really important to uh, for these films, my film and all the others in mm -hmm. these festivals. I hate to be so blunt. Many of these festivals, our films won't get seen other than the festivals. And that's the truth. You know, a lot of these filmmakers, all of us have, you know, tried for many years to get, you know, these things made. And how the, you know, what happens in the world, sometimes there is no place for these films to be seen. 
you know, until we get it sold, we don't know if it'll ever get out of the festival circuit. So you have one shot at the festival. So it's really important for folks to actually check out the website, you know, immediatefamilyfilm.com. And you know, say immediate family film at Instagram and Facebook. Um, spread the word. If, you know, if there's 20 people listening right now, if you told 10 people, each of you, that's 200 people. I'll fill that theater, you know, and that makes a big difference that I can go to someone in, you know, at one of these companies say, oh, we sold out Edmonton and they loved it. And it makes a big difference for the festivals. These festivals need audiences. You know, that's how they keep going. And they've struggled. Don't forget musicians and a lot of all the live performances for the last three years struggled. People retired. People never went back to their careers because of COVID. You know, so I'm just blown away that we still have film festivals. So they really need help. So if you can fill a seat, please do. And you can do that on Friday, May 5th at 7 p.m. by checking out Immediate Family. And you can find out more on the website for Northwest Fest about these screenings. Danny, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you uh, about this film, which I loved so much, and getting to talk to you about hanging out with Dr. Z. And uh, I feel like what your dad said about those four things that you kind of get out of it. Look, I just got a taste of that in this conversation. I I had the joy. Uh, I learned something from you. It's It's been an amazing conversation. Thank so you. we really appreciate your time. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And next time I'll be up there in person. All right. Don't be surprised if I find you then. All right. <laughs> Talk to you soon.